If you have your Bible or your phone, somebody left their phone up here on the platform. I don't know whose it is. It's got a, it's got a nice purple case on it. But take your Bible and just put it up to your chest or your phone or your hand. And say with me, this is my Bible. I am what it says I am. I have what it says I have. And I can do what it says I can do. And I'm ready this morning to receive into my heart the ever-living, everlasting, the incorruptible seed called the Word of God. Holy Spirit, speak to my heart about prayer. Fresh today, in Jesus' name, amen. Now you may be seated. <laughs> well, for sure, Joyce and I are so delighted to be here, and uh, we do get an opportunity from time to time to go to different Life Center campuses, and it's always wonderful to see what's going on. Today we're going to be in Luke chapter 18, so if you have your Bible, you may want to go there. Because prayer really is the lifeblood of every believer. And our attitude in prayer is really, really important because most of us, when we pray, we want to see an answer to prayer. Because something's going on inside of us and we want to be in communion with God. There's two important attitudes that we'll look at today. One is persistence and the other is humility. I have decided that I would change Pastor Jason's notes a little bit, and I'm going to do a personal answer to prayer, and some of you may know part of that journey. And then I'm going to talk about a public answer to prayer that God did in the Life of Life Center that was way beyond our ability to understand. So the question that we're going to ask ourselves today is, how does being vindicated affect your perception of justice and fairness? And how does God build up our confidence in prayer? And so the very first scripture we're going to look at is from Luke chapter 19 and verse 44. It's just one of those scriptures after we look at prayer where we see Jesus coming into the city of Jerusalem and he begins to weep. And the reason he's weeping because at the end of verse 44 he says, you didn't understand the day of your visitation. He's right there in the midst of them. Now, most of us, when we read our Bibles, sometimes it's just words on a page. But the written word is always revealing the living word, and he's present with us. And so here he is in the land of Israel, and he comes into the city of Jerusalem, and they don't recognize him. And he begins to weep. Sometimes we weep when we pray. Sometimes we see things and we wish they were different. And we say, oh God. And that is the posture then of the heart that begins to reach out. He continues today interceding for Jerusalem. How many know that Israel's in trouble? In the natural, it's in trouble. There's so much going on in that nation right now. And we have to remember, when a photographer focuses in on the subject, it gets clearer and clearer. And when you focus in on Israel and Jerusalem, your understanding of the scriptures get clearer and clearer. You begin to see what God is doing and why he's doing it. So let's begin with the prayer of a widow. In verses 1 to 8 of Luke 18, Jesus tells them a parable. 
to the effect that they ought always to pray and not to lose heart. He said in a certain city there was a judge. He didn't fear God, didn't respect man. But there was also a widow in that city who kept coming to him. So you come to a judge that cares less about God and doesn't care about people. That's not a friendly environment. And she says, give me justice against my adversary. Hmm. For a while he refused, but afterward he said to himself, I neither fear God nor respect man yet because this widow keeps bothering me. I will give her justice so that she will not beat me down by her continual coming. Now, the parable is not a reflection of our heavenly father. You have to understand that we don't have to beat on God's door. And the Lord said, hear what the unrighteous judge says, and will not God give justice to his elect who cry to him day and night? Will he delay long over them? I tell you, he will. Everybody say he will. He will give justice to them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? Faith is basically taking what God's word says and applying it and, and saying, God, your word is true. I trust you in all of this. And so this widow is very vulnerable. She's helpless. She's alone. And you can imagine the feelings that went through her heart and her life when she had no one to stand alongside of her and help her. How often widows get overlooked, forgotten, sometimes feeling like justice has passed them by. And you can take the word widow out of that and you can put yourself in there and you can see sometimes, Lord, how is this going to unfold? We really have a higher authority in our lives in the midst of every problem that we face. And the disciples, you and I today and back then, they live by faith and know that God always has the final word. And that's what gives you confidence. You may hear things, and then you just have to stop in the midst of it all because often our emotions get turned upside down. Sometimes our whole world gets turned upside down. But we've got to stop in the middle of it as men and women of faith and say, Lord, you have the final word on this situation. That's why he says pray and don't lose heart. Our Heavenly Father is not like the judge in the parable. He hears us when we pray. And just like Jesus was moved with compassion over the city of Jerusalem, he's moved with compassion over our hearts and our lives when we're going through things. Why do so many people lose heart? Why do they stop praying? And this is the big one. I've seen it so many times. Why did they get offended at God? You see, when you and I pray, God has an avenue to work in us and to put his finger on things. And I've watched the Lord over the year put his finger on things in my life, and he doesn't let up until I deal with it. And it's wonderful because he's teaching me that I want my will over his will. And he's trying to say to me, son, that will not be the best for your life. My will will be the best for your life. And I'm just trying to get you to the place where you're willing to turn this over to me and trust me. So when things are not working out <clears throat> the way we want, 
Sometimes we question God's goodness to us. How many know he's good? All the time. All the time, God is good. When you drop God's promises and you focus too much on the problem, what often happens is you can't even see the solution coming. It's just part and parcel of the journey that you and I are on. Let me give you a personal answer to prayer, and some of you may know part of this story already. But Joyce and I were separated many years ago, and I came to, to faith in Christ while we were separated. And I kept wondering, how is this going to turn around? And the Lord said to me, will you trust me with your family? Hmm. Will you trust me with your family? Honestly, at the time, I didn't know if I could because I didn't know him well enough. And when you get to know the Lord well enough, you're willing to say yes to that question. But if you don't know him well enough, the tendency is, is you keep trying to do it your way. And ultimately, when I was responding to God and said, Lord, I'm not sure, he had me on a plan to start in the book of Matthew and go to the end of the book of Revelation, go back to Matthew and read to the book of Revelation, go to Matthew. And, and so as I'm doing that, there are moments that he's touching my heart and change is coming. And then I get to Acts chapter 16. And verse 31, and it says, believe in the Lord Jesus, you'll be saved, you and your household. When you get God speaking to your heart from the scriptures, it arrests you. And then, like Pastor Mitch, you realize something's about to change. You're on the precipice of a new stage in your walk with God. And I said, Lord... I understand that historically now. I see what was going on in Acts 16. But Lord, could I even apply that to my life today? How many know God's in the business of restoration? He's in the business of family. He's in the business of changing the direction and the flow of our hearts and lives. And my prayer was, God, how can I reach Joyce when she has totally shut me out. There is a wall between us. And the whisper of God came to my life. And he says, well, you can't talk to her, but I can. How many of you know there's no restriction for God to speak to someone's heart? None whatsoever. We look at the Apostle Paul on the road to Damascus. I mean, he's got murder in his heart. God stops him in his tracks, speaks to his heart, changes the story. Your life and my life. And so I just thought, yeah, sure. Lord, I know I can't talk to her, but I know you can. And you want to try to figure out how? Don't do it. Let God be God, and you simply trust him. So she took the kids to the United Kingdom, and while there, God spoke to her through an unbelieving aunt. Totally unexpected. Couldn't have mapped this out or plotted this at all. But God did it. Can you use a donkey to speak? Can you use an unbeliever to speak? Can you use anything in creation to speak to our hearts? Absolutely, he can. And he does. 
And so Joyce comes home and the restoration of our marriage would take place the following year. And he had some work to do in both of us before we could be back together as husband and wife. So when you pray, if you're going to pray Acts 16.31, at the end of your reading of that and praying, go, Amen. And then there's a period of time before you can go, there it is. And during that time, God works on your heart, ministers to your life, reveals himself to you more and more, and ultimately you realize that putting your problems and your issues into his hands, he is not like the judge in the story. He is a compassionate, loving, heavenly father who cares about everything that your life is going through. Don't try to do God's job. Let him be God and be like the widow and make God the highest authority in your life and you will realize the answers to prayer that have been going on in your heart over and over and over again. My prayer was, Lord, now that I've released this to you, change me. I have failed as a husband. I have failed as a father. And Lord, I don't even know where to start. So, Lord, begin to work in my heart. I asked him to instruct me on why the marriage failed. Show me the things in my own life. Because, you know, the tendency is, let those other people change first. And it doesn't work that way. And so I said, Lord, change me. And I had to relinquish control over the affairs of my messed up life and allow God to work in my life and work in Joyce's life. But you see little glimpses along the way. And when you see them, like Mitch mentioned, uh, all of a sudden the anointing for something just changes. And God is shifting you to a new, new space and a new time and a new purpose in your life. And so you realize, Lord, it's not a bad thing. But you are removing something and replacing with something else. You're growing me up. And that's what he began to do. And one of the fears that came out was what if? What if she chooses not to restore? And that's where I learned the lesson of free will. She has free will. She will not be manipulated by God. He will speak to her heart, but the decision will have to be hers. And so sometimes when I hear people doing stuff like that, it's almost like witchcraft. They're trying to get people, manipulate people into saying yes. You can't do it. You just have to learn to let things go and just trust. And so Acts 16.31, Lord, this one lesson played out in my life, allowed not just Joyce and I to be restored to each other, but members of both of our families to come to faith in Christ. And um, I remember Joyce one time saying to me, I really want to see my dad just one time with his hands raised up. And we were at a big meeting that we had invited him to come to at the High School of Commerce. And we were on the platform. We looked down and there was her dad with his hands up. And so God does answer prayer. But there's a process to the answer in prayer. Now, let's look at the second one. In verses 9 to 14, it's a Pharisee and a publican. And Jesus also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves, that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. And he says, two men went up into the temple to pray, one a Pharisee, the other a tax collector. 
the Pharisee standing by himself prayed thus, God, I thank you that I am not like the other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this <clears throat> tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all I get. Who's praying here? A Pharisee. Is he praying to God or to himself? What he's doing is puffing himself up while he's standing in a place of prayer. And yet over in the corner, there's a tax collector standing far off, would not even lift up his eyes to heaven, beat his breast saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house vindicated, justified, rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled. But the one who humbles himself will be exalted. When you became a disciple, a follower of Jesus, you started to discover the kingdom of God is contrary to the culture. If you want to be exalted, you have to humble yourself. If you want to have into your life, receive into your life, you have to give. Everything is upside down. It is contrary, and there's a reason that it's contrary, because most of us, as we live outside of the will of God, we demonstrate selfishness. We demonstrate pride. All of the things that the culture represents when we come into the kingdom, God has to put his finger on those areas of our life. So in this parable, the two characters, the Pharisee, the tax collector, one seen as most righteous in the eyes of the public and the other most unrighteous. But how many know God saw both of them totally different than everybody else in the room saw them? You want God to see you as you are and open your heart to him and allow him to speak into your heart. Ancient courts depended on the charges being levied against the accused. The judge decided, not like today. It's easy for an innocent person to be found guilty in those days. Look at what happened to Jesus. Totally innocent. And yet he's charged and he's condemned and he's crucified. So God tells us in the midst of all of this, I want you to continue to pray and to not lose heart, but I want the attitude of your heart to be like the tax collector. I want you to be humble in your heart. And so... The Pharisees praying the five eyes, and I've highlighted them one, and we don't need to repeat it. He sees himself as worthy for God to answer his prayer. He has earned it, he thinks, compared to the tax collector. And the tax collector just humbles himself before God. And when you do that, you leave room for God to do what only God can do. Verse 13, God, be merciful to me. A sinner. You know, that's the greatest sinner's prayer that you can ever pray. And even at the end of this service, if you have not ever committed your life to Christ and you want to do it, just take verse 13 and say, Lord, be merciful to me, a sinner. I come just as I am. And the beauty is he never leaves us just as we are.
He always changes us. So God has heard both the prayers of the Pharisee and the publican, but he's going to vindicate one and not the other. Ever want to learn the key to answered prayer? Just read this parable until it becomes part and parcel of your heart. Verse 14, I tell you, the man went down to his house vindicated or justified rather than the other one. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. This is the second, I told you a personal story. Let me tell you a story as a pastor. We had a school called Life Christian Academy for over 25 years. And the Ontario government decided that they wanted to come in and inspect the school and levy taxes on that portion of our building that was being used for the school. And we had to go to court. I got a Christian lawyer. I thought I was going to line all my ducks up. And we did everything we needed to do. And we started to pray. As a congregation, we started to pray. We started to fast. And when the verdict came down, we lost the case. And what it meant was millions of dollars would then be expended in taxes. And as a Christian school, a private school, it was very difficult to raise support on an ongoing basis. And when we lost, I went to my knees and said, Father, I don't understand. We're doing everything we know to do to train these children up and to be a blessing to the parents and the families. And one man comes through the building and makes a decision that this needs to be taxed and we get taxed and even at the level of the court we lose. But that's not the end of the story. Months went by, and I said to the Lord, okay, if we have to pay the taxes, we have to pay the taxes. I remembered what Jesus said, whose inscription on the coin? Render to Caesar the things that are Caesar, and to God the things that are God. But I didn't want to render to Caesar with a joyful heart. I wasn't very happy about what had happened, but I continued to pray, and then unbeknownst to me, Someone from the Ontario Taxation Office just was reading our file. I had no idea about this. He's reading the file, and he decides to come and visit the school unannounced. We don't even know he's been, but he came in, took a look, walked around, did everything he needed to do, and left. I get a letter in the mail about a month later, and it said that... uh, We disagreed with the decision of the court, and we have filed for it to be overturned, and it was overturned. And I want you to know, in prayer, if you leave the results to God, he will do exceedingly, abundantly, above and beyond what you could ever think or ask. We're talking taxes in the millions of dollars for the next number of years. And my only prayer at the end was, Lord, for every tax dollar that goes in, I want us to influence one person for you. That's all I could, that's the only way I could justify that kind of expense going out. And lo and behold, if you leave the results to God, 
He will surprise you. He will bless you. He will do in you what you couldn't even imagine. So let's take a moment. And let's just close our eyes all, all over the room and those that are online. And just ask yourself a question. Am I allowing God's word to read me accurately? Am I trusting the goodness of God towards me? I am persistent in prayer, but what's my attitude? Think about the situations you're facing. The circumstances that your life is in right now. And that you need God's intervention. And just in your heart of hearts, just say, Lord, be merciful to me. I humble myself in your presence. I take my hands off trying to be the answer to the prayer and trust you to answer the prayer your way in your time. As God does that, just say thank you, Lord. In your heart of hearts, just say thank you, Lord. Now look up here. First, first Peter 5 says, clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility, even towards one another. God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time, he may exalt you. When you said amen a moment ago, you might not see there it is for a while, but you stay in faith believing. You stay confident in the God who loves you as a loving heavenly father, and you rest in him, and you learn as you're going through it, you cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. Amen? Let's stand together for a minute. One of the things that I've learned in prayer over the years is that motivation really helps. And I want you to look up on the screen. There's going to be an image that's going to come up. And what do you think the motivation is for the parents of all these children in Israel right now who have been abducted? How many know that there could be all kinds of anguish and anxiety going on in them because they know what would happen to their children in Gaza right now. And their cry is, Lord, bring my, my daughter, bring my son home. So how many know when they pray, it's much more fervent than it was? Now, there's another picture that's going to come up. When we pray, we pray for one another. Every single human being on the planet, whether we like them or not, is created in the image and the likeness of God. But they believe something, and that's what drives their life. And when you and I believe that God hears and answers prayer, according to the scriptures that we've just read, then our belief structure is locked into the God of heaven and earth who created those people. I'm asking God in my prayer life, Lord, for a miracle of these children to come home. 
for a wall to come down between people groups, for you to do in our generation what cannot be done in the natural. It can't be done in the realm of politics. It can only be done by the power of the Holy Spirit. And so when you see little children like that holding each other, they haven't been corrupted yet as be as adults. They're just like children. And so, Father, as we hold up in our hearts the issues of our day, we thank you that you've allowed us to be alive at a time like this. You have anointed us in prayer for such a time as this. And so, Father, we pray for Israel that is the center of your heart. And as Jesus wept over Jerusalem, he weeps over Israel today. And Lord, we thank you for your purpose in Israel, not necessarily for Zionism. We thank you for your prophetic purpose that what began in Israel will conclude in Israel. And we thank you, Lord, for your hand even upon the Palestinian peoples. Lord, that you would minister life to them, that you would speak to their hearts and that belief systems would change so that you would be at the center of all that is going on in the Middle East right now. Father, it's way beyond our ability to understand because it's so spiritual. And so we bind every principality, every power, every work of the enemy over the Middle East. We stand in faith against the enemy of their souls. And we speak life, we speak forgiveness, we speak healing in such a way, Lord, that all of a sudden we're going to start hearing the miracles of what's happening in the Middle East because you're listening to the millions and millions and millions of your people who were crying out in humility, God, hear our prayer. In Jesus' mighty name. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord.